Hey, I want to say hi to all of our friends out at Santan. I want to say hi to all of our friends in Scottsdale, great new campus out there. If you are in overflow today, how you doing? Uh, if you're checking us out online, thank you for doing that. And uh, all of our good friends at 5 o'clock, we are glad that you are with us. What a great Sunday this is. We are on week number six of sex drive and uh, we have been talking about sex now for five weeks and before this series started we even had a couple people who were like you know what are you doing talking about sex in church and uh, our answer is is why wouldn't you talk about sex in church God invented sex God knows about it he's not embarrassed we didn't surprise him uh, it is a healthy thing that has been given to us as a gift by him and if we use that gift correctly uh, it is a great, great thing. We've talked about uh, through the Sex Drive series that that drive, that desire is natural, it's normal, it's expected. Uh, but again, as Lynn talked about last week with the fireplace, uh, there's a place for that raging fire, for that desire, a place that is safe. We've also talked about this beautiful car. We've talked about the fact that it is beautiful, it's fast, it's sleek, it's quality, it's exciting. And this is what God has designed for us within sex. And if we use it correctly, that's what it will be. And if we don't, it will be a cheap imitation. It will be plastic. It will not do what it was designed to do. And we've talked about that on and off now for the past five weeks. Today we're going to turn the corner and we're going to talk about what do you do when you know that you have a problem? What do you, need, what do, you do next when repentance is needed, forgiveness, and grace? And we have a guest today that's going to help us with that. And her story is absolutely incredible. And she is an expert on the receiving end of that grace. Her name is Annie Lobert. This is her video. Little girl lost. Thought no one loved her. Thought no one wanted her. Ran away from her castle. She was embraced by the devil and his false love and through that embracing became a different person, became the harlot, became the queen of lies, the Jezebel. I just kind of went with it. It was like an automatic walking into a dark doorway that I knew something wasn't right. And I went to Hawaii that very week, took a vacation from my jobs. And the first night that I was on Waikiki Beach, I actually sold myself with my girlfriend to some Japanese clients and I became a prostitute. And I remember laying there in my bed, looking in the mirror at myself, thinking that God, was angry with me. I would get in the shower and I would scrub my body and I would think I'll never ever be clean. That's what I said, Jesus. Please save me. And I had this peace come over me that was nothing like I'd ever felt in my entire life. And I knew God gave me a second chance. Set free. That's my life, is love. 
Summerstone, please welcome our new friend, Annie Lobert. We are so glad you're here. I'm so glad to be here. That the first service was amazing, and we're just going to have some more fun now. Is that okay? Uh, awesome and absolutely. Okay, here we go. Hey, we talked on the phone about your testimony, and we talked about the fact that your early life, your childhood, and especially your relationship with your father was a big part of what sent you on the path that you went. Can you explain that a little bit? My daddy was an alcoholic when I was very young, and he quit when I was probably about three or four. But that did not mean uh, all the issues that started his alcoholism quit inside of him. So he tended to abuse my mother in front of us. He would hit her and he would hit us kids. Very strict disciplinary style. He was in the Air Force and I actually got kicked out because he was drinking in the Air Force and never really got that healing. What I just found out recently was that my father, my grandfather was abusing him as well. So it was a family chain of abuse that had never stopped. It was a cycle. Yeah. Yes, it was a cycle. After that, um, you had a physical relationship with a boy, thought that he loved you, thought you were going to be married, didn't work, break up, physical relationship. You went from one to the other, always hoping that the next one would be different. Um, talk a little bit about that. You know, I'm a Disney girl. Who loves Disney? So when you watch it every Sunday at 7 o'clock, especially when you're a little girl before cable even came out, you <laughs> tend to idealize this perfect romance. And that's what I did with that boy in school. And so I had this perfect picture of a perfect romance with uh, being in love, falling in love, and having children, and possibly going to college later in my life and making it. But, you know, those dreams were soon dashed when I found out that he was sleeping with three of my best girlfriends. And very bitter inside, not only because of the way my father treated us, never felt love my father, but I think I was always trying to fix what went wrong when I look back with my father, with every boy that I met. And that's what started the deep promiscuity. What's hard to understand, I think, too, is, is you're talking about um, seeking attention and love from these boys. But at the same point in time, resenting men, which sounds like two opposite things. How does that work? What does that mean? See, here's the thing. You don't resent someone until they make you mad, right? Or until they hurt you. So I always had that open heart to try again. And that resentment actually, you know, got deeper and deeper because every boy and every man that I slept with or every man that I started a relationship with, the actual bitter root that started as a little girl, it got bigger and deeper into the ground. And it's, it's like, I love them, wanted them in my life, yet I wanted revenge somehow. So it's, it's, it's this nature of sin inside of us when we don't get our way. So through that progression, um, you ended up turning to prostitution. How do you go from just a couple of family things, um, promiscuous sex, clear to prostitution? Was that a big jump or how did that work? Oh, gosh, I wouldn't call it a big jump because I kind of just smoothed my way into it. It's, it's kind of like what many of us do when we are selling our souls without even realizing it. Maybe we're worshiping a job. Maybe we're worshiping our family life and that it has to always be perfect. Or we uh, worship the control that we have over our life. Or we worship the cars and material things that success brings. You know, in all reality, I really, really wanted to be successful because I thought, if I am successful and if I'm respected by the community or any man that I meet, I'm going to grab him with my success because I watched my father buy things and fill that hole inside of him 
of that brokenness he had. And, and I always saw when he bought things, it made him happy for a little while, but I thought, I'm going to be different. I'm going to be the one that gets these things, keeps these things, and stays happy. So I, I think that that's where I really got tripped up, honestly, is believing that those things could change and make my life better than it did my father. Pastor Lynn has talked a lot um, throughout these last five weeks about um, as we give ourselves away sexually, there's a cost. It's just not a physical thing. It's actually a spiritual thing. And I'm sure now it's easier to see, but why do people believe that you can, you can go to bars, clubs, you can give yourself away sexually, and then just that right person will come? It, out of this dysfunction, something great could happen. Yes, yes. And I'm going to segue back into, I was in a club, speaking of that, and that's where I met these men that we thought were going to be another fling or maybe possibly pay our bills or possibly buy us a drink. Ladies holla, right? Men always have to pay for our food and drinks, right? That's what we think. And I would hope so. That's how I got actually into prostitution is because I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. But for me, it was the right reasons because that hole again, that hole that we want to fill, that deep well that we dig, we think that there's water there and it wasn't. These men were traffickers. They were pimps. And I ended up becoming a prostitute in Hawaii with my girlfriend and then later quit all my jobs. I had three jobs right after out of high school, wanted to go to college. And, you know, good, good hearted, you know, you think, you know, goals in life is to go to college and to make American dream, right? But see, that's Satan's lie is to think that if you get this, you'll get happy from this. And if you are successful, I mean, that's our entire Americans, our America's push is, is that happiness that we push in our country because we're free, right? We're a free nation. We're the strongest nation, you know, and I, I fed into that lie completely. And so, you know, those empty wells is, is what I was trying to fill, not realizing at the time. The, the empty well, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, trying to fill a hole in your life. That's just not sex. That, that could be a lot of things for a lot of different yes. people, don't you think? Yes. And specifically, you know, I think we sell our souls in more ways than we can even imagine when we really look at the reason why we're doing things and that we, we open up that, that, what's the motive behind this? Okay, ladies, what is the motive behind you going out with a man that's got money? Now, he could be good looking, we can grant that, but however, why are you looking if he's good looking? You should always try to look at the heart, not the wallet, not, because if you do that, listen, you're just another prostitute. And men, let me speak to you in your life. You have to be successful, right? You're, you have the pressure, you're the family man, you have to make it in life. So are you willing to spend 16 hours at the office just so you can buy your wife another car or take your kids on a, another greater vacation? Now, you're actually worshiping that corporate business on the altar and you're selling your soul for that, right? And that's another form of prostitution. Yes, it is. So it, it's not just girls that actually physically sell ourselves. You know, and also being, being stuck in pornography. You give your soul away to the screen that are with people that aren't even really liking what they're doing. And every time you do it, that's why we always feel awful when it doesn't turn out what we want because it's not what God had intended in the first place. So you're in Hawaii, which is where this starts. Um, talk a little bit about this transition uh, to Las Vegas and kind of that wake-up call uh, to how ugly this whole thing is that you went through. So we went to Hawaii and I got back to Minnesota and uh, I decided that I was going to be my own, my own boss, obviously. I didn't want to have a pimp and I was against pimps, aka traffickers. However, since I'm such a romantic... I met this guy walking in the club one day and he came down and put a fan of money. At this point, I had been stripping in an exotic strip 
gentleman's club, whatever. And uh, this guy was like, give me all the attention I needed. He spoke life into me. He told me that I was beautiful, that I was intelligent. And, you know, I found out that he was dealing drugs and I didn't like it. And since I'm a person that wants to fix everybody, like my mom wanted to fix my father, you learn these things. Parents, watch what you teach your children by how you treat each other, okay? Uh, you can help someone in their dysfunction, like my mom did with my father. And I ended up trying to get his life on track by telling him, you can't be a drug dealer. I know, let's go to Vegas. So the first night I was there, that's when I actually got physically trafficked. And he beat the living daylights out of me. I did not know he was a pimp. He was hiding it the whole time. More than 50% of girls that are trafficked, they're in a romantic relationship with their perpetrator before it happens. So now you know you're kind of trapped. Um, again, sounds like you're chasing, again, even more and more attention, chasing. money. You're making tons of money, I would yes. assume. Um, but it's not, of course, it's not working. Uh, and not keeping it. Nope. He got every single dime. Nope. Uh, so 11 years in, you decide to, to try to quit and try to start a new business, maybe go a different direction. How'd that go? So I had this man that was really sweet to me. And you know, Pretty Woman, that movie, everyone's probably seen it, right? All of us girls instinctively, that's why that movie really spoke to me, want a man to rescue them. Climb up that stairway and hand those roses and give him the limo and say, I'm going to take you away from this life. This man actually was part of that for me. Uh, we're friends to this day, by the way. He's saved now and his children. But he was a client of mine that took me into his car business. It's funny that you have a car on the stage because I painted a lot of these. <laughs> and uh, I love cars, you guys. So my heart. But... Uh, so he ended up showing me corporate business and it failed ultimately. And so again, I left my pimps, but left with nothing. And now here I was in a beautiful million dollar home, cars in the garage, beautiful outfits again, had everything basically restored that I had lost. And business failed, lost everything again. How embarrassing, right? Like, what's wrong with me? I can hustle in the street and be a, a successful call girl. However, I can't be a corporate businesswoman. And it devastated me. And that's when I started doing the cocaine. Was there a part of that where you said to God, here I've done the right thing. And, and, and you're punishing me. It's, it's not Ooh. working. Did you do that? I sure did. I, was, I am so glad you brought that up, Pastor Ray, because I actually remember sitting in my closet with my mink on with my champagne and my pills, because I had my pills go in my champagne, I would drink those and I would do my lines. And I was like, God, I am so mad at you. I mean, at that point, my sister had died in my life, I had gone through cancer, I had all these crazy things happen to me and I thought God was judging me, so I was like, you know what? You hate me, and so guess what? I hate you too, and it was just like that pivotal moment of realizing how broken I had really become that I'm that mad at God that I'm going to yell at God and blame him for my choices. Right. How is that fair? Uh, right? We, we all do that. It's not fair. Yep. Yeah, we so, all do that. And, I, and that's when I came to the end of myself. So fast forwarding to that point, um, how did you know what happened? What was the epiphany that said, I I've got to put a stake in the ground. I've got to do something different. Well, I overdosed one night. And that was the turning point in my life. That was August 2nd, 2003. And all I remember is fading to black and losing consciousness and realizing, oh my God, I'm going to die. And that 
that point in my life was probably the worst and best day of my life. And now I say it's the, my best day because it's the day that I finally decided, okay, I will not have a gravestone yet. This is, it, this is not God's plan for me. It, it, it might be being made when I die, but it will not be made while I'm alive here. And uh, I basically reached out and church background, only Sunday school, but church background and cried out to Jesus and said, Jesus, save me from myself. Because right now, apparently, I can't do anything. And listen, I'm a control freak. And I wanted to have control at all times. And I finally surrendered. And I think that's what the pivotal moment was. My heart was fully surrendered to him. And it was the most beautiful decision I've ever made in my life. <laughs> no doubt. So you make a decision like that. And again, where you've come from in that history, um, you want to do something different. Um, obviously, it's important to make the decision. But now how does that stick? How did, how did the church play into that? How did friends play into that? What did you do that helped that decision stick? Oh, gosh, since I'm such a romantic, I'll talk about this again. When you know that someone loves you, I knew that I knew that Jesus had forgiven me. It changed my whole heart. And I was, so, I was more open to loving him back that's all I really wanted was someone to just love me for someone that I was created to be, not for someone that someone wanted me to be, someone that wanted to mold me into what they wanted. I wanted to be what God wanted. And you know, mentors over the phone, you know, I didn't go to church the first year and a half, but when I stepped into church, the church completely embraced me. You know, and I'm not going to say every church is like that. I know this church loves people. I can tell you got some full seats here. <laughs> people keep coming back, right? Um, but what I found is that there's people out there that get it. They understand. And um, that accountability, I needed that. I needed people to keep me, you know, nourished and, you know, keep me in the flow of that transition into my new life. You know, the, the well, going to the right place to drink. You know, not going to the bars, not going to my wallet, not going to worship corporate business or worshiping myself and my control issues, but actually being around people that were surrendering with me. It kept me strong. It really did. And that's why it's good to be in a place like this, to be, and not just Sunday, but get involved, you guys. You know, Jesus, he was involved with the people. And it, that's what really, I think, um, kept me alive in those moments of, oh gosh, I, this is too hard, I can't do it. You know what? He never said it was going to be easy. Never. And I'm going to tell you something. It might be hard, but I'll tell you what, I'd rather go through that pain for someone that I love, which is him, than do it by myself and try the other things of the world that trip me up even worse. Hmm. Yeah, you talked about just how much you read the Bible. Uh, your friend in Loved Minnesota, <laughs> you talked about the church and the support that you got there. Um, were there times, though, um, and I think we all do this where um, we actually go back to God and we question that forgiveness. We say, you know, maybe you weren't paying attention, God, to what I did, and I know you forgave me, but do you need to do that again? And, and how does that go? Or what does it look like when you even step back? Because you said there was a point even where you thought about going back. What was that like? You know, every time that I would think those thoughts, it's, you know, the temptation of sin to just compromise and to not go through the pain. Uh, and I think what really, really strengthened me was, you know, staying in my word and staying around the people that were helping me, but also realizing his deep love for me and uh, just really, really 
diving into what he actually did for me. And I think every morning that we wake up, when we renew our minds, he renews our hearts as well. He renews everything if we give everything to him that we've done. I, I know I've messed up. I know I've messed up as a leader, even in Christian ministry. I've messed up as a Christian. But you know what? He's faithful. And that's what, kept, that's what stayed with me, was that faithfulness of a husband. He is our husband, ladies and gentlemen. When we commit to something like this, it's just like a marriage. Like, you got to stay in, good or bad. And it got rough. And I'm going to tell you something, it still gets rough. And sometimes I get so mad, and I'm going to tell you something, I get mad at myself and I get mad at Christians that judge us. But the one thing that stays in me is his love for people. And if he died for me and the junk that I went through, he, he did it for everybody else. And I can't stay stuck in that, in the unforgiveness mode and turn into a Pharisee myself. I can't do it. I agree. Speaking of husbands, I didn't get to ask this question last service. And, and everybody knows here that I'm a guitar player, so I want to talk about yeah. your husband. So yeah, this is exciting now. I get, to, I get to get this question in here. Um, unbelievable, this story and this marriage and this wonderful man and that, that you could have a healthy, happy marriage like this. Tell us about him, because I want to hear a little bit about that, and then just how you met and how, how can this work? How can this have such a good ending with what you've been through? I met Oz on MySpace. Remember the, the MySpace, you guys? Through a friend of mine. You guys know Kevin Max from DC Talk, Audio Adrenaline, so they were friends, and he was working on a Striper album in Las Vegas in 2007, and I met him on MySpace, and he just reached out to me, and I was like, who is this dude? You know, God is funny, because God knew that I wanted to be around musicians, because I love music, and I actually played guitar, too. You probably didn't know that's that. That's probably why you like me so much. Is yes, that what it is? that's okay. it, Pastor Ray. That's the, that's the, the factor right there. So, uh, he, I think God sent him to me when I was ready, not when I wanted, actually, to be married, but when I was ready for a man that I could respect, that I could treat right, that I didn't need to get revenge on. And he had to prepare my heart. See, ladies, a lot of you want to get married, but listen, God still needs to do that work in you, and you wonder why it's taking so long. Let me tell you something. He's got a work to do in you. Get prepared. If you're going to do something, you know that you know you're going to be married. Get yourself in alignment, and that's what happened. And we got married on uh, June 5th, 2009. We've been married five years this year. I love him. Uh, we don't have the most perfect marriage in the world, but I tell you what, it's a blessed marriage. And he's in Striper, um, and uh, they're actually together 30 years now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the last album was very good, too. Yes. Very and good. I love it. Love being a Striper wife. That's what we call ourselves. Just completely changed by... His love for me, too, because he accepts, accepts me just the way I am. He never gets mad about the past. He loves it when I talk about what God's brought me through. He never gets offended. He's the perfect man for me, straight up. So. Let me, let me ask this question. Yeah, you can pause for that. And I walked down the aisle of Virgin uh, in a white dress, ladies. Yeah, I got sassy with, with sparkles, like my nails. Hey. <laughs> I don't do anything small, you guys. Just know that, okay? Uh, and like if, if we think God is small, wait till we get to heaven. No doubt. Okay? It's going to be some bling up there, too. Go look in Revelations. Preach it, girl. Preach it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You've had men throughout your whole life um, treat you bad, use you. And I don't even think men understand what effect they have on a woman when they do that. Um, and then here comes a man that's different. Why don't you give me the contrast between 
all these men and him. Because I think as, as the women who are out there and they're looking for somebody, I think obviously that can be confusing. So, so how was he different? How was his love different? See, there's a difference between love and lust, okay? You know, lust takes love gifts. And if you see that red flag in a man, watch out. One of the things that I really look for is don't try to force me to have sex before marriage. He was very, very gentlemanly. And he was very sensitive to the issues in my past. And the other thing was that he loved God with all his heart uh, and soul. And I saw that in him and I was, oh my gosh, I was so attracted to that. Like, come on, uber attracted, right ladies? We all want like a perfect guy that loves Jesus. But the other thing was I watched him with his family because he has three kids and they're my kids now. Yay, I inherited children. <laughs> so awesome. Love them. And I watched how he treated his family, his mother and his kids and even his ex-wife. He, had, he actually had a marriage that failed. It was a 20-year marriage. And long story short, they get along great. We all get along. And I just saw redemption in that. And I knew that if anything ever went wrong with us, there would be redemption in that as well. And I trusted it. And you know what? The other main thing that I did was I had to trust God. I did not try to hit on him or talk about marriage because you know what, ladies? You know how we, well, you know, <clears throat> I'm kind of getting older now. Um, <laughs> I still can make babies, but come on. You don't talk about that with your fiance. Now, if you do, that's on you. But Every time I tried to mention that I would one day would like to be married to him, because I was falling in love hard, you guys. It was hard. And the Holy Spirit shut my mouth and said, true love waits. Keep your mouth shut. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. I, I stayed on that scripture, man. And it happens. That's and awesome. he asked me to marry him on Valentine's Day. Of course he did. Three dozen roses, heart-shaped diamond. And, you know, it was, it was actually, for me, a, a personal triumph with the Lord waiting, but also a miracle, because I couldn't do it by myself. He had to do it for me. That's incredible. Can you give us just a really quick snapshot of your ministry now and what you're doing for these girls that are still on the streets? So, in 2005, <laughs> I started to go down, back down to the Las Vegas Strip, because that's where we live, and there's beautiful casinos. You guys, it's four hours away. If you don't know Vegas, it's just go drive there. Um, it's called Sin City, we know, right? Grace City with us, though. And I started reaching out to the women that were selling themselves for their pimps on the strip and bringing them to church. I had nowhere to put them. They had no homes. See, once the ladies leave their pimps, they leave with nothing, just like I did. No car, no jewelry, no clothing, no nothing, no home. They're homeless. So I designed a program called Destiny House. And it's a 12-month program to let the girls come and heal, get whole, uh, get some really deep Christian psychotherapy, and uh, go into that inner healing part and unwrap the pain. And then on the 10th month, they get a job, and they just they save for their own place, and then they eventually move out. And they get reintegrated back in society. So that's what we do. It's called Hookers for Jesus. And uh, yeah, I said it, Hookers for Jesus. Matthew 4.19 which is, I will teach you how to fish for people. So no longer are we hookers, now we are fishers of people. That's awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> so my last question. I want you to take yourself back to the moment um, where you knew that you were forgiven, that you were loved unconditionally and tell us what that felt like. Oh, you guys.
guess I don't have a couple weeks to tell this, but because uh, <laughs> can I just tell you what happens when you really know that you know God has forgiven you, that Jesus has forgiven you? There is this peace that falls on you and enters you and lets you know that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are now, and that you feel like you're stuck in, that you don't have to stay there, and that if you just give it to him, he can take all your junk and turn it into treasure, and he can use it for good, like Romans 8, 28 says. And that's what happened to me. And that pitiful point was the point of just surrendering that. Um, his love is universal. I mean, it's, I can't explain how beautiful it is. All I know is this, is that I'm here for a purpose, and it's to love others, and it's to bring others into his love and into his fold, and I wouldn't change my life for anything. I'm so thankful for what he did on that cross. <laughs> if he would have died just for one person, he would have done it, but he did it for all of, all of us, and it's the most beautiful thing that an ex-prostitute can be loved. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Annie, yes, you can applaud for that. Thank you so much. Your, You're welcome. Your testimony, your being transparent, your sharing your life, uh, not only is helping these women, but it's helping people all across the world. And we're honored that you would come and share that with us Thank today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Annie LeBaire. You may be seated. There are many of you here today who wish you could feel that feeling, that peace, that love, and knowing that your God has forgiven you. And that's available today. It's available right now. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he will be faithful and just and forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We're talking about truth and grace. And the two go hand in hand. And the great thing about truth and grace is it also helps us understand our part and his part. And to tell you the truth, our part is actually the easy part. God is ready today. He is ready. He's holding all this grace and mercy and love and healing and restoration. All we have to do is ask for it. So what is our part today? Our part today is to admit that we have sinned, that we've blown it. And whether we think that's some great sexual sin or whether we just think that we've just settled for the cheap imitation that God has given, it doesn't really matter. We do need to admit that we're wrong. We need to admit that we have sinned. We need to be ready to accept what he has for us. And today is the day where we stop. And we put a stake in the ground and that this thousand mile journey, which begins with one step, 
we take that step towards God today. I'm going to pray for us in a few minutes, but I want to draw your attention to the card that's in your weekly, uh, and you're going to see it up on the screens also. It's got four resources that we would just like to offer you if you need help. Four different things. Any one of those might be right for you, maybe all four. And today, if you say, you know what, my sin is not a sexual sin, that's not where I struggle, it's very possible that you know somebody who needs that card. We have more of those also. Please take the card with you. And just know that as we talk today about that empty well that Annie had, the need for repentance, that can apply to a lot of different things, not just sexual sin. That's how sin works, where we try to fill this hole with the wrong thing. If you would please bow your head for me, close your eyes. We're going to take just a few minutes and we're going to do our part so that God can blow us away with his part, with forgiveness, with love, unconditional love, acceptance, healing, grace. If you've made that decision today to put a stake in the ground, to give up this sin and ask for his help today, would you please just slip your hand up Just slip your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you. We're blown away by your just unbelievable love. And we've definitely done things wrong. And we we come before you today to confess those things. We need you. We're ready to receive. We're ready to take that step today. We know that the the price for sin is high. The price for sin is death. And that you sent your son to die for us, to pay that price. We accept that today. And we just ask you to please help us. Please take this from us. Please help us to clearly see today, Lord, what is that first step? What is that first step of this long journey? that you would have us take today, right now, in this place. We love you and we thank you. And it is only in the name of Jesus that we come before you. Amen.